James chapter 1. James chapter 1. We'll go down to verse 17 for the sake of time. We'll read this one verse. We're here to do today what we do every Sunday. We're here to proclaim the truth of God, to preach the word of God, to point people to the fact that Jesus is alive and he is well. He's on the throne and he is the son of God, the truth of the gospel. It's why we meet on Sunday to celebrate resurrection, the fact that Jesus got up from the grave. And it's no doubt that we're also here today and looking forward to tomorrow, our Independence Day as a people. And sometimes in our individuality, in our own families, in our own way, and really our own motives and the way we live our lives, sometimes we detach from the fact that there is benefit and there is blessing, nationally speaking, collectively speaking, as we are Americans and the access and the freedoms that we have. We're here today to worship the Creator and not the creation. We're not here today to worship America. We're not here today to worship the red, the white, and the blue. Rather, we're here today to worship the God who made the red, white, and blue mean something. We're here to worship the God that made America great and who bestowed upon America great gifts and blessings. That's what makes America great. It is our relationship, our response to who God is, not who we are as people. But we're here today to remember what the Lord has done, to thank Him for His great blessing, His great gift. And I know we're in a place, I know we're in a challenging time in our history where you look at America as a whole, you look at our, our country as it pertains to our morality, the culture, and it's maybe difficult for you to find something worth celebrating. I promise you what God's given us, the gift, the freedoms, and the liberties that we experience each and every day are absolutely, undeniably, without question, without doubt, a gift from God. America is a gift from God. No matter how you look at it, no matter how you want to slice it, America is a gift from God. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Today, God is worthy of praise. He's worthy of honor. And He's worthy to be Lord of every aspect of our life. That includes where in His sovereignty He has assigned for you to live. Know that God could have chose for you to live in Africa and He would still have been a good God to you. He could have chose for you to be born in Europe, in Luxembourg or in France or in Belgium, and he still would have been a good God. You could have been born as an Indian in India. You could have been born an Australian or in Japan as a Japanese. And all of those people have access to the same Jesus and the same God that you do. But all of those people just mentioned have no history, 
have no amount of blessing, have no benefit package or structure like what it means to be born, raised, and live in the United States of America. America is far above and beyond any other existence on this world that it has ever known. There has never been a greater empire. There has never been a more magnificent power display in the might of our military in an influence. God has given America something that others will never have. And God has been good to you and he's been good to me and he's given us the blessing and the opportunity to take care of the gift that he's given called America. You see, our bounty, our blessing this Sunday morning is actually a gift from God. It's his blessing. America doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. And in grace, he allows us to be our own stewards of this blessing. And then he expects us to give back what he already owns with a cheerful heart. It's like when a child goes to the store to pick out a gift for mom or for dad for their birthday or for Christmas. It's mom's or dad's money that buys the gift, yet the child is allowed the opportunity to pick the gift, to possess the gift, and then to have the blessing of giving the gift to the parent as if it was theirs to give. When in all reality, the legal possessor, the legal owner of that gift is mom and dad. That's what God does with us each and every week. When you're able to go to work and you earn money, when you go to school and you get an education, whatever the blessing, whatever the status of your life is, it actually does not belong to you. It belongs to God. This morning when I got up, I got up out of God's bed. He owns it. When I went to my coffee pot this morning and Miranda had already put coffee grounds in the coffee pot and pressed start, somebody say, praise God for hot coffee that's already made. That hot coffee did not belong to me and it did not belong to my wife. That delicious hot coffee belonged to God. When I got in my Toyota pickup truck this morning, that Toyota pickup truck, though the state of North Carolina says, I owe the taxes and then I own it, that's God's pickup truck. These bottles of water sitting here on this pulpit for me to drink when I get dry is God's water. We're in God's house, sitting in God's chairs, watching God's screens, preaching from God's pulpit and preaching the truth of God's word. Every good gift is from God. And everything you have as a parent, everything that you have as a teacher, everything that you have as an American is a gift from God. Now on a larger scale, looking through a larger window, let's take the gift of America, the blessing of our country. Let's step outside of our individuality and look at it as a whole, as a nation. And there's no doubt, there's no way around it. I don't care what talking heads and political pundits would like to say or to infer, but America is a gift from God. And the blessings cannot even be quantified. If you've ever traveled and seen abject poverty firsthand, then you may understand this. And if you haven't, then sometimes it's hard for us to quantify just how blessed we are. If you've ever been to Haiti, for, for instance, or some parts of Africa or Central America, parts of Asia, hidden islands in the Pacific that have never seen anyone of a different skin color, 
Those places still exist in our world. And yet when you put their blessings and their possessions and their materialistic views up to ours, they do not even compare. They feel like two different universes. And this morning in places like Haiti, people woke up with issues and problems that sound like this. Where will I get some water? In any condition. Where will I find some food, any food, for my children? Will we be able to find rice for the day? Will we be able to find a banana or a plantain that we can share with the family? That is their reality. That's what they woke up to this morning. Many of those mothers will walk to UN clinics or they'll walk to a missionary's outpost where someone is preaching and teaching the word of God and they'll go to those people because they know that they can find some help there and they'll plea and they'll ask for something as simple as a fever reducer for their infant because the dysentery and the fever will kill their infant in just a matter of a few days. That happens even today in 2022. Even a greater problem in Haiti this morning is the incredibly low number of churches that are still active, churches that are still preaching and teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and even fewer missionaries that are able to operate like they were able to just three years ago. Things have changed in that nation. There's still godly saints like Miss Phyllis Newby who woke up this morning with the burden of Haitian realities. There'll be no 4th of July celebration for her. Rather, she will wash clothes and dishes and point the orphans that God has put in her care to Jesus. And when she lays her head on the pillow tonight, she'll find her satisfaction, her completeness, not in what she has, but in who she has. She loves Jesus. You love Jesus. But why aren't you looking for your food today? How did you have gas and a car and a home? Because church, God has blessed us. Let me say that again, church. God has blessed us. We are blessed. God has given America more than any other country ever to exist. Our military, its might and its power, our global influence with currency and power. When the United States of America walks into an international meeting, the tone changes. Well, America's here. God's given us influence and power and with that influence and with that power, it's why it makes each vote of each American individually so very important. The people we choose to put in office to represent us, the people we choose to put in office to make our laws matter. And now more than ever, your governor and who your governor is matters. And who your state senators are matters. And the people who pick judges matters. God's given us a great gift. Just about 12 hours ago, Christians in China met for their Sunday worship service. Most of them met in very adverse conditions in underground churches, undisclosed locations. There were zero Facebook posts about Sunday service. There was no Instagram story to encourage people to come. Rather, their hunger and their desire to know more about Jesus is what drove them to come at the threat of their own death. Christianity is different in different places, you see. Loving Christ 
is no different there. Jesus loves them just the same. They can have just the same relationship that you do, but their reality, what they are living in, in this world is very different. Americans live much differently than 99% of the world. American Christians especially, God has blessed us beyond compare. And even in places like the United Kingdom and Canada, they've experienced a radical shift against freedom, a radical shift against the autonomy of local churches and pastors. And during the pandemic, even in South Korea, there was much government oversight and overstepping regulation that crossed lines that would be unimaginable here in the United States. Though we had our challenges, though we had our issues, we faced nothing like these brothers and sisters in other places did. And it's true, politics and the collapse of civility has harmed us tremendously. Our country may never be the same. That is just the reality of which we will have to accept. And you might say that American greatness has diminished to unrecognizable conditions, and you are right. But what is irrefutable, what is undeniable, is the truth that America has been given so many great opportunities, so many chances so much mercy, so much grace, and yet we're openly, willingly squandering it all for the sake of human comfort, understanding, and blatant wickedness. That's where we are. Yet the gift of America is still a gift. It's still a great weighty gift that comes with consequence and responsibility. You see, the problem is we're foundered. We are spoiled rotten to the core with one central issue. And I'm afraid it's even crept into the churches, this sin of ungratefulness. America has been given everything and yet we act like we have nothing. In the streets of America today, there are people executing one another for a cell phone or for a dime bag of marijuana. We're spoiled. We're wicked. And in all the gift and in all the blessing and in all the mercy, we are a nation that has openly turned its back on God disregarding every gift and every blessing he's ever giving us. In examining the gifts that God has given us and looking at the greatness of America that he's allowed us to have and possess, there is one gift, there is one blessing, one element of what God has done that stands out above the rest. This one blessing that overrides everything else above our material possession. Something more important than where you live and how much money you have. Something more important than what side of town you grew up on. Something even more important than what color your skin is. And that is the gift, the great blessing of generational exposure to truth. Generational 
exposure, obvious, blatant, in-your-face truth. At America's most deepest roots, her most fundamental charter, the most obvious driving force is that America has always had the truth. You go back to the Mayflower, the 103 brothers and sisters in Christ that fled the sandy beaches of Plymouth, England to get away from the corruption and the control of the Church of England to seek freedom to worship. What were they willing to leave England in the first place for? The truth. They desired a place where the truth could be preached freely, unbridled by man or corruption. It's why they got on a leaky boat and set sail. Within the first year, half of them would be be dead. Half of them would die from disease, all for the truth. America has had generational exposure to the truth since our beginning. In part of the Mayflower Compact, their charter, part of this read, in the name of God, we whose names are underwritten, the loyal subjects of our dread sovereign, Lord King James, by the grace of God, having undertaken for the glory of God. The reason I'm getting my family on this leaky vessel and going that way, for the glory of God and the advancements of the Christian faith, Advancements of the Christian faith. Well, America wasn't founded on on Judeo-Christian values. I'm sorry, but the Mayflower Compact, they were actually there and they're actually the ones that came. They said it was for the advancement of truth. That is where we got our start in the truth business. The men and women in Jamestown, the men and women that would settle in Plymouth all desired a place for truth. A man on that leaky boat named William Bradford. He was a Puritan that sailed on the Mayflower. He served as governor of Plymouth for over 30 years. This is an excerpt from his journal about their journey. Yea, let them which have been redeemed of the Lord. This is the governor Imagine if your governor was to stand at a podium, any governor in the United States of America, and say anything about the redeeming qualities of the Lord. You'd pass out and want to know who wrote the ransom note. Yea, let them which have been redeemed of the Lord show how he hath delivered them from the hand of the oppressor, says the governor, who was hungry for a land, for a place where truth could reign over the people. And that is the truth of God's word. Fast forward to the American Revolution. You may be surprised, but it was actually the pastors. The pastors who initiated much of the conversation that brought about the American Revolution. They taught it in the churches. They preached it from their pulpits. And these were men. I'm talking about men with backbones. Men who were not afraid to say the truth, to speak the truth in love each and every day. The Provincial Congress of Massachusetts in 1774 said this. This is from the floor of their Provisional Congress. We cannot but acknowledge the goodness of heaven. 
We cannot but acknowledge the goodness of heaven. The problem with America is you have churches that have a problem saying it's good to acknowledge the goodness of heaven. 1774, our leadership was doing it from the floor of the House and the Senate. We cannot but acknowledge the goodness of heaven in constantly supplying us with preachers of the gospel whose concern has been the temporal and spiritual happiness of this people. And do therefore recommend from Congress that the preachers, that they assist us in avoiding that dreadful slavery from King George, which we are now threatened by. This was the desire of our people from the very beginning to establish a nation with a bulwark all the way around built on the truth. We've never had a generation not be exposed to the truth. July 1, 1776, two years later, in speaking to the delegates of the Continental Congress, when some of the delegates were getting soft When some of them were getting weak, they were hesitating on making the break with England. A man named John Adams urged them to approve that very day a document that we now know called the Declaration of Independence. John Adams stood up with tears in his eyes and he said, Before God, I believe the hour has come. My judgment approves this measure and my whole heart is in it. All that I have and all that I am. And all that I hope for in this life, I am now ready here to stake upon it, live or die, survive or perish. I am for the declaration. It is my living sentiment and by the blessing of God, it shall be my dying sentiment. Independence now, independence forever. And ladies and gentlemen, you can say what you want. The church has been brainwashed to look at American history with some sort of skewed view. That is the determination. That is the grit. That is the will that God put in people's hearts back then in 1776 to say we've had enough. We want freedom. God gave it to us and it's our right. And it's what won us the war. People that were willing to die for the truth. You said that's awfully radical in 2022. It's about time we grow up and realize what God's given us. Like spoiled children that need correction. God's angers turn towards that lackadaisical attitude. My God, look at the great gift of America. And go back to the history books before they're washed clean and free of anything to do with God. And notice with me that God's hand was at our very inception. God's hand sent us. No, the founding fathers were not perfect men. Neither are we. But the God they desired, the God that they searched for, the God they went after in pursuit of liberty and happiness and freedom and truth is the same God you pray to. We have had generational exposure to truth. All throughout the 1800s, God gave us men who were full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost with backbone and grit and strength to preach the word of God. Why were there so many revivals? Because men would preach the word of God without fear and without favor in a tone and in a manner in which the culture of that day would put down whatever else they were doing and pay attention. 
Men like Dwight Moody would preach the word of God. Men like William Booth and Peter Cartwright would preach the word of God. We have had generational exposure, generational access to truth. In the 1900s, we had men like A.W. Tozer, J.I. Packer, Leonard Ravenhill, Percy Ray, Estes Perkle, Ralph Sexton Sr., James Alexander Stewart. Thank God for men that would stand and preach the word of God, that heaven is real, hell is real, that you don't want to go to hell, that you want to go to heaven, but that the only way to see God the Father is through Jesus Christ, his son. And do it unapologetically. Men who proclaim the truth and there has never been an American generation. There has never been a time in American history where there wasn't someone at some point at some place who didn't proclaim the truth, seek the truth, broadcast publicly the truth. We have always had the truth. It's our greatest history. It's our greatest heritage. Thank God for the truth. I'm not wandering out here blindly looking and grasping and moaning at the world, looking for something that's real. God in mercy gave me the truth. And it's our heritage. It's our history. When you look at the red, white, and blue, we should feel no pride other than the pride of what God has done. What we're watching happening in our country is an evisceration of what God created. We've spit in the face of God for so long. We told him to get out of our schools. We told him to get out of our courtrooms. And we wonder why there's such an uproar, such a moan and a gripe and a, a vicious roar from the world when we protect life at the Supreme Court. America's rotten. And it falls on us. Those who know the truth. You're called by Christ as Christians to be salt and to be light, the preservers, those that cast out the darkness. That's our responsibility. That is our role. And as we feel the weight and the burden of knowing the truth, it should humble us and push us lower and lower so that God can do more and more in our lives through us. And like so many tribes and remote village peoples, that have never seen a Bible, that have never heard someone preach the good news of the gospel, who have never had a missionary or a preacher come to them with the truth. America has been richly, richly compensated with access to the truth. Jesus teaches a principle that we must pay attention to in a parable. Turn to Luke 12. Luke chapter 12. Go down to verse number 48. I invite you to go back and read this entire parable, which is 42 through 48. But I want to read this last verse and summarize this principle because all of us as Christians here today need to take this home with us as we live our lives and celebrate the independence that God's given us. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten 
with a few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given of him shall much be required. To whom men have committed much of him, they will ask more. Jesus is making a point here. He's making it clear that punishment will be more severe to them that have been given more, but choose to do nothing. The master that gives the servant more than he could ever deserve, and yet he does nothing with it. To whom much is given, much is required. And may I add this, Sometimes we look at our own personal situation. We go, well, I'm struggling financially. We look at our problems at home. We look at our domestic issues that we all carry with us. Bumps in the road, tough days. We all have them. It's part of life. But I think when we put back into perspective some of what bumps in the road and hard days look like in other places for other Christians, I think quickly our minds will come back to a sense of thanksgiving, a reality that God, even in our tough days, a tough day in America is much different than a tough day in Mogadishu. Your tough day may pale in comparison to some of the tough days that other Christians are living. And when we do that, when we forget to look and see that the sun is still shining and all we do is look at the few clouds that are out, eventually there may be enough clouds to hide some of the sun shining. But what we forget is that the sun is still shining on the other side of those clouds. You've got to remember that even in your toughest, darkest days, you still have access to Christ. He still knows who you are and right where you are. And he chose for you sovereignly to be born to live right here in America. Jesus made it clear to whom much is given, much is required. When we've been given so much. And what saddens me, what breaks my heart is America has turned her back on the truth. We have violated the truth. We've taken something as simple as male and female and made it so confusing, born in wickedness and seediness straight from hell. We're taking simple things like don't steal, don't drink, don't drive. And somehow we're perverting simple truths. This is where we are as a people church. It's not popular. It's not fun to embrace. But it's what your children and it's what we will live in until Jesus comes. But it does not diminish the weight of responsibility to whom much is given to. Just because the world is being the world and losing its mind does not change the fact that God expects you to do something with the gift that he's given you. If God's given you a talent, you better use it for God. If God's given you a gift like a wife, you better cherish it. If God's given you America, you better take care of it. The way you do that is for His glory, by being who you're called to be. A protector of the truth. A conveyor of the gospel. The salt and the light that God has called you to be. Miss Amber, you can come to the piano. I'll finish here in just a moment.
couple of weeks ago, I finished preaching here on Sunday night. I got in the truck and I drove to the Asheville airport. Took the last flight out on Delta, landed in Atlanta, headed to Washington, D.C. I'd gone online and submitted a request to have a research project there at the Library of Congress that Monday. I got the email late in the weekend that said it had been accepted, so I got on the flight that Sunday night and went. I get to Baltimore after a flight cancellation about 1.30 on Monday morning and head to my hotel and rest for a few hours. Got the opportunity to go to the Library of Congress and had an assignment and some assistance to help me find these books that I had heard existed. I felt a real burden, a real strange, heavy burden to go to see those books. Some of our religious history as people you'll find volumes of things that will just bring tears to your eyes in the Library of Congress. Rich history of how God's hand has been in this land working and doing things. Some of the healing that took place in this nation after slavery. Things that you've never heard in the mainstream media. Stuff that you've probably never even heard taught at university. You can find first-hand accounts in the Library of Congress. It may be that one day a lot of those books are removed. That is sanitized from our history. But church, we have a history that's directly connected to people who are hungry for the truth. Hungry for God's word to be held with reverence and respect. You could come to this nation and even if you weren't a Christian, you would be allowed to worship as you wished and no one would harm you. It's a beautiful place that God gave us. And I'll just be honest with you. I told the 8 o'clock church, I don't think I've ever quite been as burdened as I was in Washington, D.C. for that few hours. I left the Library of Congress and I went back to my hotel. I put on some walking shoes and got comfortable and I put in my Apple EarPods and I was by myself. I just started walking. 92 degrees, hot. I left my hotel and the closest national landmark to my hotel was the White House. The president was there that day. Congress was in session that day. And I went up to the White House and for just a few minutes I stood there and I prayed. And I thought about what that house represents. I thought about all that God had done for us to be able to have that house. Think about it. For us to have the freedom that we have to have an executive office of the president. What it means in this country. You say, I don't like the guy that's up there. I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about the office that God gave us. And I felt so broken. And Clayton, I told God I was sorry for what we had done. All the things that God had done for us to be able to exist as a country.
from there I turned around and I walked and went up to the Washington Monument. I made that circle all the way around, came up to the top of the monument. Rory, there was rangers there, kids everywhere. They're back from COVID teaching and talking about what the Washington Monument is. And I just sat there on a bench next to that monument and I looked up. And I thought for a minute, I wonder what President Washington, General Washington would think if he and I did the afternoon tour and he saw Washington, D.C., the city named in his honor. And I'll be honest with you, I told Miranda, I said, I just pretended like he was sitting there in front of me, brokenhearted, and I said, General, I'm sorry. See, just a few hours before on Sunday morning, our vice president had led a pride parade that ended there. and There was a man dressed as a woman with makeup on, reading a book to children on the lawn in front of the monument. My God. I just said, Mr. Washington, I'm sorry. I thank God for you, General. Thank you for all you did. But I'm sorry for what we've done to your city. From there, I made a short walk down the path. That sidewalk goes to the reflecting pool. Before you get to the Lincoln Memorial, there's the World War II monument. And every state is represented around that beautiful monument, those pillars. And I went and found the pillar that said North Carolina. I thought about the men and the women that paid the sacrifice so that we could be free. That volunteered, that were drafted, and that went and fought and bled and died so that 78 years it'd be a shell of what they fought and died for. And I just went to each state and I apologized. I said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. It's my generation's fault. I can't blame anybody before me or behind me. It's on me. And from there, I walked down to Mr. Lincoln. I looked up at him. I said, man, you'd be ashamed the way we're treating each other again. And I apologized. I went to the Vietnam Memorial, the Korean Memorial, and I apologized. I told those vets that were there, I went up to them and I said, man, I'm sorry for the way we treated you when you came back from war. That was the start of a real problem in our country. And I apologized. And I went down on the other side, looked over the bridge into Arlington where there are 400,000 Americans that sacrificed something so that I could be free. And I apologized. And I said, I'm sorry for what we've let this thing become. We've allowed politics We've allowed sin and wickedness and this, for the sake of political correctness 
to bring us to a place of unrecognizable conditions. And church, we can be mad all we want to. We can get angry and yell and be furious all we want to and talk about the next election and how bad things are getting. And we can put all of that in a blender and blend it up. And you know what you'll have? You'll have a big old ugly milkshake. But at the end of the day, the world is being the world. And the weight of responsibility for righteousness and truth is not on them. It is on me. It's on me. It's my problem. And it's your problem. You know the truth. You've seen the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. You possess the light. And it's on us. Could it be that what we need desperately is not a political revival, but a spiritual revival? where we look at other people again with broken hearts because we know that one day they will spend eternity somewhere. That we look at folks that are addicted to drugs with pity, not with disdain. That we look at drunks who are living on the street and we say, oh God, get a hold of that soul. Not sheriff, come and get rid of the distasteful look in my city. We need an attitude adjustment. We need brokenness in our hearts. We need tears back in our eyes. And we need to cherish, to take care of, to do our very best to look at this beautiful flag and say, you know what? This belongs to Jesus. This belongs to God. Doesn't belong to the Democrats. This doesn't belong to the Republicans. This is a gift from above, from our Father, which is in heaven. And He sent for us this beautiful gift. And now it's our time, it's our place, and it's our responsibility to cherish, to protect, and to thank God. For the gift of America. Amen, Let's stand all over the building. I want to end today with a prayer. I want us to come and ask God to do something in our hearts individually. God, that we would feel the weight of the responsibility of this gift. That we cherish it, take care of it, that we pray for it. And we'd ask God that in wrath he'd remember mercy. I know that we're looking for rapture. I know we're looking for Jesus to come. But you'll have to forgive the youth of my heart. I still want to see God do something big in this country one more time. I still want to see a harvest of souls saved. I still want to see drug addicts break free of the chain of addiction and be saved and be born again and live the life that Christ has for them. 
I want to see your family member that you've been praying for for years to get saved. And I want our nation to fall on its face before God, repent of its sin, humble itself, and ask God to heal our land. Would you come help me pray that prayer? Will you come? Anybody? Will anybody come help me pray? Is there anybody that's willing to pray, ask God to touch your country? That God would raise up another generation of people to preach the word of God? We'd have moms and dads that are sold out to love Jesus in their home? Would you pray for your church? Would you pray for your pastor? Would you pray for your family? Would you pray for the people that teach your children school? Would you pray for your children and their future, what they're going to live in?